Hello, and welcome to another episode of Quilt Buzz, the podcast featuring your favorite folks from across the quilters. I'm Amanda of Brockloss Studio, and I'm joined by Wendy, the weekend quilter. Hey. And our special guest, Charbrion of Charbrion. Hi, everybody. Now, before we jump into all our quilty textile fun today, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Charbrion? Yes, I'm so happy and excited to be here with y'all. My name is Charbrion Plummer. I am a proud child of the Deep South, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I always describe myself as an artist, a researcher, and a writer that is super invested in storytelling and the power that it holds to tell really comprehensive and exciting histories. So you mentioned that uh, you like to do storytelling through your work. Um, so you actually have a PhD in arts administration from Ohio State. Um, so what are your areas of focus and research and what led you down that road? Yeah, I always like to tell people about my program because I was really fortunate. It's a wonderful program and it's a really long name. I'm so glad you shortened it, but also it's the... Arts Administration, Education and Policy, which tells you a lot and nothing at the same time because it's super long. So I actually teetered more towards art education, even though my previous work had been more in art administration. Um, But the focus that my doctorate took was Black women and textiles, um, as we'll talk about in a little bit. But what led me down that road is actually more of like a personal sort of aside When my great-grandmother passed, I ended up inheriting her really old, I wish I had it next to me. It's a seafoam green Singer sewing machine. It's a brick. It's so heavy. The one where like the table is built into the table. And I was like, I have these clothes. I have these things. And I really started to kind of go down this road of like memory and how artifacts, especially cloth-based artifacts, can tell us stories and help us to sort of remember, have connections to these familial histories, especially the women in our lives. And at the same time, I started talking to all kinds of artist friends, other folks who were like, oh yeah, when my great-grandma passed, like I got this thing and she taught me how to quilt or we used to do things at home and they would sew together. And all these things just started bubbling together. And I was like, I have some ideas. I don't know where I'm going to go with them yet. And I also said I was never going to go back to grad school, never say never. But uh, I, I decided it was time. And that was mostly because in addition to processing all of these emotions and things, I realized when I started looking up quilters, especially quilters who are a part of the African diaspora, I would always come across Jeesmond and Faith Ringgold a group and an artist that I love tremendously, but I'm like, this can't be it. This is not it. I know this isn't it because of course, duh. But also why is this the only thing that I'm seeing like just based on an initial query? What are the stories that have yet to be told? Who aren't we talking about? And that really is the, the backstory that led me down my research road. And it opened up all kinds of possibilities, not just for understanding Black women's history and work in quilting, but also within sort of textiles more broadly conceived. Your latest piece of research is called Diasporic Threads, Black Women, Fiber, and Textiles. Could you tell us more about this research project? So finished 
the finish the dissertation. And after that, I knew I wanted to do something that felt a little more accessible. Like, I don't know about y'all, but not too many people are going to go on ProQuest and read like over 300 pages. It's like really academic writing, even though there were photos, lots of pictures. I pride myself on that. If you look at it, it's lots of pictures in there. But I knew I wanted something that like if I wanted to give it to my mom or my grandma or if someone didn't necessarily go the traditional academic route, what is something that they can have that can be a resource book? And in some ways, it was like a gift to pass me. Like if I had had something back then when I was doing my own research before going back to school and having access, right, and the privilege of um, getting to go to the library and digging into these journals and things, what could that have been? And so the zine really became that. Um, I love interviewing folks. I love talking to people about their stories, like above all else, outside of art history, outside of everything else, the heart and the foundation of my work is really rooted in storytelling. And so Dicework Threads came up as a way to both consolidate all the research I had done into something really neat, but also to continue to tell that story of, yes, quilting and. Because the thing that I forgot to mention a second ago was when I would tell people, not even quilts, just Black women, African-American history and textiles, they'd be like, oh, quilting. I'm like, well, yes. And I think it's a very foundational practice as we think about Black women's creativity. But what are the other things that folks are doing? So when you look in the zine, I have uh, Simone who does tufting. We have Felicia who has this intersection of like architecture and textiles and functional textiles and like elements of STEM. You have Jasmine who's like really manipulating fiber in these really interesting ways. So a whole bunch of folks, Lisa, who also has a podcast, Black Women's Stitch. And so I really wanted to not only examine the histories and like all of these really personal and important stories that we tell about the women in our lives and the people in our lives who usher us into quilting, so to speak. I like to think for most people, you have an introduction to quilting. Some of us stumble into it, but if you really think about it, somebody or something was like, hey, you need to come and, you know, enjoy this thing. So who are those folks, but also... How have we taken that knowledge and expanded upon those practices outside of um, like more traditional approaches to making? And so the zine allowed some of that. And one of the things I'm most proud of with the zine especially is thanks social media. You know, that's how I came to learn about y'all, et cetera. I put out a call because I really got annoyed with folks being like, you know, well, where do we find these artists or that artist? So I was like, hey, I'm doing this project. If you're a Black woman and you work in textiles of any sort, does it matter? Do you want to be a part of this sort of micro directory? Can you send me your information? I think it was roughly like 120 women from all over the world just sent their information just based on this prompt and filled out the Google form. And we're like, I love this. I want to do this. Like here, put my info in. And that was really touching because it showed that other folks felt the work was important. So yeah, it was validating, but also it was nice to just be connected to a larger community of amazing women and artists. You just answered my question. I was about to ask you like, how did you gather these women? And <laughs> so you answered that. Are there plans to um, release another um, issue of the zine uh, featuring the other artists that you weren't able to uh, include in the first one? So I've been thinking about like what the format could be and it could be, I've talked to, so Laura Mosley who runs Common Threads Press is amazing. And I know she's always excited to think of new stuff, but I'm like, is it a zine? Is it actually like a more formal book project now? I'm still sort of mulling that over. Um, 
but I think I might actually want to do a more expanded version because the thing I hear consistently is like, we want to hear more. So the stories that you see in the interviews are like super edited, of course, for space, but there was so much richness and so much more that could have been said. So I would definitely want to do something with that um, and continue to explore because there's so many people I haven't gotten to talk to. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned you collected 120 names, which is amazing. (laughs) Were you anticipating that you were going to get that many um, people to respond? No, I was like, if I get 30, I'd be happy. Like, that'd be great. And then it got to a point where the closer I got to the deadline, I would refresh the form. I'm like, oh, we got 10 more today. Oh, we got 30 more people today. (laughs) I don't want to see this. What's happening? Um, It was just so touching. And that has really been a huge part of my practice. I like to tell people, you know, there's multiple ways to do research. Um, When I teach, like I tell my students, you know, I know back then they used to say, don't go to Wikipedia, don't go, you know, but Instagram has a lot of potential. Most of the artists that I interview or have interacted with outside of like writing assignments and things like that, we've connected probably through social media. And is your form still open now or it's shut? <laughs> it's closed, but I think after this, I might open it back up. <laughs> yeah, you have to. I'm We're sure, overdue. I'm sure like everyone, after they hear this episode, they want to like include their name in there or recommend someone. Mm-hmm. Um, I really feel that this is a start of something really cool. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Thank you. I, I needed the nudge. I was like, I want to do something with it, but I think this is the, the push I needed to make that happen. So outside of the surprise of how many um, people raised their hand to be part of the project, uh, what else like really surprised you from going through and creating the zine? Yeah, I think for me, it was, I don't know, I think research puts us in a space where it's really easy to become isolated. Even as like artists, as quilters, you understand this. So much of what we do is like solo work. We spend a lot of time in our studios alone. Um, and so you don't always get to show someone what you're doing until that end result. So you don't always get that feedback. And I think for me, it was just the feedback and the resonance continues to just be a really touching part. I hear about people's stories around their mothers, or um, I just got back from RISD and I had one student who came up and she like had scribbled like throughout it, which I love. I'm like, yes, write in it, take notes, notate. Um, but she's like, you know, I'm almost to my, to the end of my thesis. And this is the thing like I have been waiting for. And so that part, I was like, yes, this is what I wanted for someone else, anyone else, even if it was one person to feel like I found the thing that I needed, like that missing link to not only like validate what I was feeling, but to also help me to push my own research and knowledge or like artistic practice forward. Um, It's been really, really touching. So if our listeners wanted to grab a copy of your zine, uh, where could they grab a copy of it? Yeah, so uh, Common Threads Press is the home site that's the press um, that it was printed through. You can always get it there. It is based in the UK, so you might have a bit of an extended timeline. Um, but I know in the States, there's Tatter. I recently found out um, that Philadelphia Printworks carries it. But um, Art Data London is our stockist, and I believe that they have a longer list of uh, resources in the states, but they because the, it was printed in the UK, I know they prioritize that dispersing. But they also do a really beautiful job of um, international distribution. But those are three immediate places that I can think of, both in the UK and in the US. 
So in addition to your zine, for our listeners that would like to read and learn more about uh, Black women's contributions to art and history through their fibre-related mediums, what could they be, um, sorry, what should they be searching for and where do you recommend that they should go to? Yeah, thank you for that amazing question. So I believe that I updated on my website. I actually included in the zine my bibliography from my dissertation. It's also on my personal website. And so they can look at all of those citations. There's some, of course, like more narrative research focused stuff, but within that you have that information. Um, Dr. Carolyn Maslumi is another amazing person. She's the founder of the Women of Color Quilters Network um, and has published several catalogs and texts related to um, Black women's contributions to fiber, other fiber related mediums as well. Um, Commune of the Spirit by uh, Roland Freeman. Roland Freeman is a folklorist and photographer who traveled across the American South and chronicled so many hundreds of hundreds of uh, Black women who were quilters as well in an amazing book. There's not been anything like it really uh, since he published it. I think that that's a great place to start. There's also Tatter Blue Library, which has several um, resources related to Fiber and textiles broadly conceived, but also some that specifically relate to Black women's contributions to art and history. Um, oh gosh, I'm flaking on a name. I'll think of a couple more and send those to you. Um, but those are the ones off the top of my head is in terms of fiber, textile specifically, um, a really good starting point. You mentioned with the um, the book on the photographer like which what period did he capture um those photos just out of curiosity yeah if I'm not mistaken he was talking to them through the 80s and 90s um so yeah that was for the most part the bulk of his work um I would also be remiss if I did not mention that in the next year or so, there should be some other things um, coming out related to this show. But uh, the Berkeley Art Museum and Pacific Film Archive, I recently did some work with them and they acquired what I believe to be the largest collection of quilts uh, made by African-American women to date. They were collected by Eli and Leon, um, thousands, literally thousands of quilts. And there will be an exhibition of that work uh, coming really soon within the next year and a half, I believe. Um, but with that, there'll be other uh, data, things that can come up, uh, things that they should, folks should look into related to that as well. That was the one thing I forgot. I was like, I need to mention that this is a really important collection because yeah. there isn't really anything like it. It sounds like a massive undertaking to kind of like collect all that information, but also all the quilts and put that together to look at all really cohesive. Um, mm -hmm. Did you actually get the opportunity to check out those quilts or have like a little preview for it? Yes. So they did a really amazing job of convening some folks um, because, and this kind of ties into some of my own research as well, when discussing quilts by African-American women, historically, in a lot of the earlier writings, there were instances where they may have been misrepresented or just presented through a very limited description or purview by scholars of that time. And so with that, 
they're really thinking in a contemporary way, how do we act as responsible stewards of these work and tell stories about the lives of these women in a really comprehensive way. So I got to go and hang out with them for a few days and put on our white gloves and touch all these quilts and flip through them, which is my favorite part. Um, but it was super fun because as we know, like you don't get to touch the artifacts often. You get to look at them, but it was nice to flip them over and to see all the different clothes and types of materials or cloth or like polyester that you probably can't find anywhere anymore embedded within these beautiful, uh, beautiful works. And they were massive. And as you're going through all those, um, you know, all those quilts, all that work, um, were there any sort of particular themes that really kind of stood out to you or surprised you? Mm -hmm. I would say the the variety um which we know like no no one has the same technique etc i think we exist at a time where there are so many patterns and things that are available where we can all put our own spin on thing but at that time when most of those quilts were made these were women who were just you know making do with what they had or simply saying like here's what i have i might want to experiment with these things so for me i'm seeing uses of color, types of blocks, things that I had just never seen before because they were really folks just going for it and leaning into their creativity, which I thought was amazing. So I think just, yeah, the span of work or even there was one quilter in particular, I believe, where they had just hundreds of quilts made by this one woman and they all varied so much even within that one sort of body of work. So it was really beautiful just to see the robust possibilities um, that exist for all these quilts, especially because so often, as I mentioned a second ago, in earlier descriptions, folks would talk about sort of African-American improvisational quilts and this is how they're supposed to look and this is what they are. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, there weren't sort of cultural retentions or things that influenced these works, but I think Bampha's collection in particular shows just how diverse uh, approaches to quilting can be, even within one collective cultural community. I hope the exhibition travels or they start sending out some of the collection because yeah, it's massive. There's definitely going to be some, some offshoots because <laughs> it's so big. <laughs> um, so you are also a writer for Quilt Folk Magazine, which um, for our listeners who aren't familiar with the publication, it's a quarterly magazine that uncovers quilt stories uh, state by state throughout the U.S. Uh, has this role allowed you to travel across the country meeting new quilters? Yeah, I get to do both. So when I first started with Quilt Folk, we were mostly virtual because there were a lot more um just, you know, constraints in place due to safety in the pandemic. And now we finally got into a place where we can do a bit of travel, which is really nice. Um, so yeah, I get to do some of both, which is exciting. And when you're traveling to see uh, interviewees, um, what do you do in preparation for it? Uh, do you like, for example, like, do you set up a location um, to meet, like, for example, someone's home or um, do you have like a set of questions already in mind? How does it all work? <laughs> yeah, I would not be a good person if I did not give kudos to Brianna Briggs, who is our editor. And also the one of the most organized people I know, 
Um, she really does a lot of the heavy lifting to get the process organized for us. But typically, Quilt Folk as a sort of entity scouts and decides, okay, here's where we want to do the next issue. We have a meeting. We get together as a writing team to discuss um, potential prospects. So we kind of get to pitch ideas. Here's what we're thinking. Here's somebody you might want to talk about. And it's nice because you start to see where we all have overlap. Like we all might think, oh, you know, Jane Doe over here is an amazing quote. Okay, we for sure want to talk to her. But you also start to learn about a lot of folks who may sort of fall beneath the radar. So after we decide all of those things, we get our story assignments. And if you're traveling in person, you are sort of mapping out sites. And so we have photographers that we work with as well that are pairs. And so we're typically put in touch with them. We all decide sort of the schedule. We have a run of the day. And usually if it's um, an individual quilter, we'll probably be at their home or if they have an offsite studio, their studio. And if it's a quilters uh, guild or some sort of larger organization, we'll either meet at their headquarters or some local community center or space where they gather that they feel is significant in addition to um, staging and sort of setting them up at different sites of relevance. So we really do our best to incorporate um, place into the spread. So talking about who they are, but for instance, if we have, you know, quilt folk, Rhode Island, what are some places of significance that we can also capture in the spreads in addition to just the quilter story themselves? So whilst planning out a trip or like an interview with an interviewee, would you then interview them first to kind of get an idea of um, sort of like a background or a story or what's significant to them? And then you then plot out the locations and um, how the how the day looks like when you are actually there. Yeah, it's really nice because when we when we're apart, we don't always know what's being photographed. But like uh, when I went to Mississippi which was close. So it was nice because I got to do a bit of a drive to get there, which I love. They, we were able to not only interview them, but then we were in someone's home and she could say, oh, I have that quilt in my closet. Let me grab it. And so now I can incorporate that into the story in real time because I have that contextual information. Um, But yeah, usually I have a set of questions I'll provide in advance. Or if folks prefer to be more organic, I'll just say, you know, we'll start off, how'd you get into quilting and sort of let that spiral If they have notable achievements or awards, um, we'll ask for context about those. And then I always usually try to ask for a little nugget or something nice that they like to share with our readers related to quilting or creativity, um, just to close on a high note. Yeah, you got my question. I was going to ask, how do you do your research? (laughs) It's like, you know, you know, especially when you're talking about someone who might be below the radar and who might not have, yeah have won awards or anything like that, like coming up with um, questions for them can be tricky, but you know, it's, it sounds like it must be so nice to get to meet them in person and have a, you know, flowing conversation. Yeah, it's really meant to center the whole person. Sure, we quilt, we all have a shared love of the work. And it's like, we want to see the quilts, we want to see the pretty things, but everybody has a story worth telling that led them to, you know, where they are today. And we really have this space to explore and emphasize that, which I really appreciate about how quilt folks sort of positions the narratives. Um, you know, when it comes to interviewing someone, sometimes it takes a little while for them to kind of... Um, get comfortable and be able to give you that golden nugget. Um, what are some ways or techniques that um, you can make someone comfortable um, to kind of spiel out that um, that golden nugget they have? 
Yeah. So I will say, and I mean this in the most humble way possible, that I am very lucky that people really just open up to me. And I think one, it, I try to do some preparation. So I also want to let folks know y'all do an amazing job of prep. You're a great example of comfort or creating comfort because, you know, it's nice to at least know what you can anticipate. Um, and I like to just reassure folks, like, this is about you. There's no right or wrong way to do something. And I'm really lucky that, you know, I get to transcribe and then go back and edit. So you can feel comfortable making mistakes. It's not like we're real time on the news. And sometimes I think those reminders really work well for folks because they feel like there's a certain way you have to be on or you have to exist. Um, and that's simply not true. Uh, it just feels feel free, like speak as you normally would use your colloquialisms. Like I, I want your personality because it's important to me that you feel like your article represents you and who you are. I can write about you, but I want folks to understand it um, through your lens, even if it is a little bit of my voice present in sort of shaping that. So I think those are just a few things. Um yeah, and I, typically we'll have a quick conversation and become close friends. And I try not to share, you know, it's a little bit of a faux pas to share too much about yourself because it's someone else's interview. But if there is something that I can offer from my personal life um, to just build a connection or to find some commonality, I try to. And that also can kind of take a little bit of the formality off of it because you are building that connection and that relationship with someone. Can you share what your most memorable interview has been so far or favorite? Yeah. They <laughs> could be different. <laughs> no, I thought about this and I think it's probably the African-American quilt circle of San Antonio. Those ladies are serious. They mean business. <laughs> they are so skilled and it really, you know, different quilt circles and guilds feel like a family, but it is a family. Um, one of the quilters, like her daughter-in-law, I think is the treasurer and she quilts as well, but they like deepened their relationship together. And when they got on the call, they were all like thinking about these moments and they riffed off of one another really well. And you can just, you could feel the connectivity just bubbling off of them. And this is on Zoom. I didn't even get to meet them in person. And so they had like all these images and things they wanted to show. Someone was at their house and they're like, wait, wait, let me grab this thing. Let me show you this coat that I made. And it was so cute. And um, then when I finally got to see the spread, the images just like really brought it home. And I was like, yep, I know what I felt, but this just really confirms it for me. So they were a fun group. And um, one of the quotes I found out is from my hometown. And so we actually like stayed in touch. She was in town and I was, I was away though, but we didn't get to meet up, but she's like, I'm here. I'm like, if you're ever back, let me know. And we can get together. And they kind of just like really adopted me by the end of the, by the end of the interview, which is really sweet. So yeah, they're probably my favorite so far. Cause we just had a ball. It was a lot of laughs, a lot of laughs and good time on zoom. So in addition to your own research, as well as your writing for Quilt Folk, you're also the founder of the IS Studio. Can you tell us more about this creative consultancy and the work you do with it? Yeah, so IA is a, a term that is, it's represented through the symbol of a fern. It's um, an Adinkra symbol, and it really emphasizes sort of resilience and resourcefulness. And after having worked in the arts for a while, um, when I was in grad school, I was trying to figure out, you know, how am I going to make money? Folks who might who are listening might relate like it's different when you're 30 
going back to grad school around that time than it is when you're 19. We have 30 year old bills now. So I was like, what am I going to do to, you know, sort things out so that, you know, I love Ohio State. They gave me a great stipend, but I'm like, yeah, we need to supplement this a little differently. And I was always sort of taking contracts here and there. I feel like that's the nature of just like working in the arts. You might have different things you work on. And it sort of really grew from there. And once I finished my dissertation, I decided to scale up and really formalize it. And it's important to me because I think so often we have organizations, other creative folks who need support with either shaping programs or getting organized or really sort of thinking through this sort of next step. And so Aya really allows me to bridge my many, many years as an arts administrator with my own mind as sort of a creative person. And those two things come together um, to do anything from facilitation of retreats, other sort of planning sessions so that folks can either organize their studio practice or an endeavor that they have, or from an organizational lens, maybe you want to build some new hires in and you need to organize around that, or you want to develop some really cool programming and you need somebody to help you think through that or even facilitate and sort of project manage that happening. Um, And sometimes I get to have a little bit of both. So an exciting example I can think of is there's a theater um, and really a performance company uh, in New Orleans, Joomba Productions. And in addition to supporting them with a lot of sort of the backend arts admin structural pieces, they had a performance where they were like, hey, we need to develop some visuals. We want to activate the space in this way. And I was able to make a quilt for them as a part of the performance as like a part of this whole sort of community engaged project. So here I have like something that was so niche and specific to I think me that it worked out where they knew my work. We had that familiarity I had this context and I was able to bridge the two together, both as an administrator and as an artist. But the way I sort of summarize it is like I support creative world builders, artists, other people who just believe in the power of people and they enhance their work with that. I support them with thought partnership um, and development to really help amplify or sort of give structure to their own visions and values. So the the thought piece is an, is an important part of it because I think so often, again, to what I was alluding to a second ago, creative folks spend so much time in isolation. How do we get outside of ourselves? And also in a way that feels safe with someone that we can trust to help us usher these things that we care about into their next stage of development. So it sounds like you got a lot of fun, exciting things going on. Are there other projects in the horizon that you're able to share with our listeners? Sure. Um, there are a couple that I'm really excited about. The first being, um, or not the first, in no particular order, the Mamas Who Dream retreat. So Mamas Who Dream um, is founded by Maureen Nichol, and she reached out and specifically wanted to develop a retreat later in the year for mothers of color who not only might need a little time and and some space to just have some reprieve, but also to make. So it'll be at Haystack. It's taking place in September. And I will actually be leading the workshop for hand-tied quilts, which is really nice because I don't always get to facilitate that um, side of my work. Like I do commissions for folks and have some other things that I work on, but I said, no, I want to do more creative stuff this year. So Maureen was like really clutch with that. So folks can still register for that. Um, last year, 
my colleagues, Rachel Wallace, Sabni Talwar, and I uh, hosted the Stitch by Stitch convening, which really examines the histories of quilting within um, an abolitionist framework, thinking about healing, thinking about how art can really be a vehicle for sparking conversations and rallying around social change. And we're in the process of developing um, a sort of essay compendium and edited book series around that as well. And a zine that is going to be about in July, we'll make it a year, a year out from when we hosted the convening to really just give folks some reflections and to think about um, what it is that we learned. And then I can't say what it is yet. And I'm laughing because I know when Jess listens to this, she's going to laugh too. But Jess Bailey is over at Public Library Quilts, who's amazing. And I are working on something really exciting um, that hopefully by the time this is out, we'll be able to share a few more details. But if folks stay in touch, they will see what the thing is. I hate to do mystery stuff, but I'll just leave the cliffhanger there. And Jess is also someone who published through Common Threads Press. So we have that in common too. Uh, she wrote Many Hands Make a Quilt. And so I'm excited about what we're working on. So collaboration there. She has oh. an awesome Instagram account. Yeah, if mm-hmm. our listeners are not li- like following her, please do because really good content. Yeah. yeah. So we'll all have so to those s- are the big things. We'll have to stay tuned. I love mm-hmm. a good mystery announcement. You know, <laughs> <laughs> small pressure on the guest. <laughs> <laughs> So on that note, it is time to move on to our rapid fire questions. Are you ready, Sharbrand? Let's do it. Okay. When do you want to take us away? Okay. So are you a early bird or a night owl? Early bird, all the way. And music, Netflix, podcasts, or the sounds of silence while writing? Music or silence, depending on the headspace I'm in. And what's your current favorite? Beyonce. <laughs> music oh, renaissance is still on repeat until we see her in september i'm so excited oh gosh, you got tickets got really lucky so see you in september beyonce see you in houston do you have a favorite snack while working oh oh gosh 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 grapes probably like grapes or maybe like a Cheeto puff. Sometimes okay. I, I like a little crunch, something mm. with a little, a little bite. So yeah. two very different snacks. I love it. Yeah, I was gonna say like, gee, you're really healthy. That's a, that's <laughs> like, a spectrum no. of crunch. Yeah, yeah, the full thing, the full thing. Have you ever combined the two together? No, but Ooh. I will do like weird things. Like, I, so I have done like grapes with cheese. I mean, that's sort of like charcuterie, right? Yeah. Like grapes yeah. and mm-hmm. cheese, maybe yeah. some crackers and you just have it on a plate yeah. and they all make their way in there. It's fine. <laughs> I'm like imagining right now, like, so like throwing all those ingredients in the blender. It's like, that sounds so wrong. Oh, it's, that. Yeah, it's so wild because we eat them, right? So yeah. they go down, but it, I mean, Sorry. <laughs> no, I took it further, so it's my fault. <laughs> Anywho, so do you have a favorite traditional quilt block? I it, I would probably be tied between um, flying geese and then I love like postage stamp quilt blocks, oh, like those little yes. squares. There's so much you can do with them. Mm-hmm. And what is your favorite form of fiber art? Mm, backstrap weaving major respect I did a residency in Oaxaca and I had a three week intensive course on backstrap weaving (gasps) 
I've never felt anything like it. It's such an embodied thing. I loved it before, but I have the utmost respect for all weavers, especially those who use backstrap looms. My goodness. Oh, okay. I've done it for I have 10 to minutes. Google this. 10 minutes and I was like, I can't, I can't. <laughs> yeah. It was all it just <laughs> suspended. Yeah. You're perpetually suspended yeah. and you're just moving and everything is like seizing up. I'm like, how do you do this? But so many women, especially in Central America, a lot of places with those practices have been doing it since they were young kids. So it's sort of, they build that muscle memory, but I realized I didn't have it. The core strength is not there. Uh, um, So do you have a favorite fiber artist? Oh, it's so hard. I still don't know. I'm like, this is so hard. I don't have a favorite per se. Um, I think I, I tend to, one of my favorite things I would say that I love are um, Nick Cave's sound suits. So, I love his sound suits. They're so fun. Um, so I'll, I'll say that for now, but it changes like weekly. <laughs> Do you have a quilty crush? I don't know. <laughs> I would say the only, and so I got to interview her as part of my dissertation and I definitely fangirled a little bit because she's just amazing. Um, Miss Carolyn. Carolyn Crump is awesome. She is an amazing quilter who just manipulates textiles in this really wild way. I've never seen anything like it. And do you have a favorite quilt folk issue? Mm, I have to say Louisiana because that's where I'm from, but I didn't work on that one. So if I choose (laughs) that one, I worked on... um, I would say probably North Carolina was a, that was a really good one. That was really good. And dead or alive, who is your dream fiber artist interviewee? Oh, there was someone I've never gotten to meet. Um, and her name was Questa Ben Berry. And I feel like if I were to think of it from a citational place, she is probably one of the women who even made like my research possible. In addition to Dr. Maslumi, she has since transitioned, but um, if I could, I would love to to talk to her because I hear she was a force as well. So pick one, researching an interview, conducting an interview or writing. Conducting an interview, easy, easy. <laughs> if I can be like, quote Oprah <laughs> and just have us, yeah, all the time. Love to talk. And what is your favorite part of the writing process? Hmm. I think actually editing a little bit because there's there's something really magical about having it all start start to sort of come together in the process. It's it's really magical for me. So probably editing. And what's your least favorite part of the writing process? Also editing. <laughs> I love the the editing in terms of building the story. But getting into the weeds about like grammar and all those little oh, tricky yeah. things and like somebody else, can <laughs> yeah. somebody else do this? I please? suck at that. <laughs> nah, I'm good at it. It just, it, it could be tedious. Yeah. And uh, could you describe your work in three words? Yes. Um, colorful, alchemy, and love filled, even though there's a dash in between. Yeah. Uh, and do you have any hobbies or interests? I mean, y'all, if the listeners can't see, but you see all of my fiber things on my shelf behind me. So of course, anything textile related, sewing, that sort of stuff. Um, 
I actually was apprenticed in metalsmithing early Ooh. on, so I know how to do that sort of stuff. It's been a little while, but I'll get back to it soon. I really do love that um, as well. And I think those are, yeah, that would be probably the big ones, the big things. Now, before we wrap today up, we've got just one more question for you. And that is, who are three accounts you think everyone should be following and why? Mm-hmm. Could I could I add one? So you this can, public library quotes count yeah. is just count. Can I go back to three more? <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll okay. make it one. <laughs> Thank you. Um, um, Acres of Ancestry, it, it's almost, it's really beautiful. It makes my heart glad because I think they are the perfect bridge between understanding sort of Southern folkways in life and quilting and textiles. So um, they also do a lot of rallying around Black agrarian life and like farmers in the South, but dig really deep into cultural traditions and do a great job of telling a comprehensive story of the role that quilting has played in organizing in the South, in addition to being a creative practice. Um, They work with a lot of artists and have like this cooperative model that I think is really beautiful. Harlem Needle Arts, very similar um, in terms of organizing folks and really highlighting. So I should have said earlier, where do you go to learn about like black women, art, history, textiles, Harlem Needle Arts is another one. Michelle does a great job um, of telling those histories, building amazing programming, but also creating a space where women can share knowledge with one another and also find community. Um, And then uh, lastly, So Creative Lounge, I feel that they also are another entity that creates a wonderful sense of community, both online and offline, but they just have really cool stuff that I want to go to. They have an annual quilt retreat. They now have an online platform that you can like subscribe to where they have classes and all sorts of things. They do virtual classes online. They have like amazing kits and fabrics and anything that you think you might want. They've got it. They do lives where you can talk about things and learn stuff. So yeah, they're really great. So on that note, we need to wrap today up and we hope that you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to contact any of us, we can most easily be found on our Instagram accounts. I'm at Broadcloth Studio, Wendy. I'm at the.weekendquilter. And Charbrion. I am at Charbrion. Or you can go to our podcast account at quilt.buzz or our website, quiltbuzzpodcast.com for previous episodes and updates on upcoming guests. If you enjoyed today's show, we hope that you subscribe to the podcast and tell your quilty friends about us. And if you have a moment to share what you love by writing or reviewing your podcast provider of choice, it would make our day. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. 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 Thank you. Bye.